God's grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As I said, today we're focusing on the story of Ruth. Um, and I have a confession to make. I've never really liked the story of Ruth. I know that's a terrible thing for a pastor to say about a book of the Bible, especially at the beginning of a sermon about that book of the Bible. But for whatever reason, I've never found it all that compelling. I think maybe that's because Ruth is often talked about as this, this wonderful love story. Now, don't get me wrong, I have nothing against love stories, but I think in some ways I'm still a little bit like this kid from The Princess Bride. Hold it, hold it. What is this? Are you trying to trick me? And where's the sports? Is this a kissing book? Wait, just wait. When's the kid good? Keep your shirt on, let me read. When I think of love stories as a genre, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is the sappy, cheesy, formulaic type of love story that, that you see in so many chick flicks. Um, I realize I, I'm already starting to get myself in a bit of trouble here with some of you, uh, particularly my wife. Um, I came home this week from the office one day, and Emily was watching uh, the movie Return to Me. Now, um, if you're not familiar with the movie... Uh, David Duchovny's character is happily married at the beginning, um, only to have his wife die tragically in a car accident. Um, now, his wife is an organ donor, and so her heart is donated to Minnie Driver's character. Now, even if you haven't seen this movie or maybe never even heard of it, I bet you can guess what happens next. And the, the cover gives us a little bit of a hint, too. I'd warn you about the upcoming spoiler but um, I think, generally speaking, when it comes to chick flicks and spoilers, the two are mutually exclusive. So, uh, of course, as expected, David Duchovny and Minnie Driver meet, and they, they fall in love, and they live happily ever after. It's a sweet and heartwarming, uh, pun is actually intended there, I have to say. It's a very sweet, heartwarming story, but uh, I found it really hard to connect with as a guy. And I think I've always looked at uh, the story of Ruth in the same way, kind of as the chick flick of the Old Testament. There are two books of the Bible uh, that are named after women. One is Ruth, and the other one happens to be Esther, which I am privileged to preach on in uh, March coming up. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, but I, I have to say, as I read through Ruth's story again in the story, I began to wonder if I have ever really given it a fair shake. Perhaps it's not such a sappy love story after all. And so, um, let's take a look at Ruth's story together here today, uh, starting on page 121 of the story, if you've got your copies with you, um, or of course the book of Ruth, if you'd like to follow along with your Bibles. The story begins here with a famine in Bethlehem. This is ironic because Bethlehem actually means house of bread. And so there's a famine in the house of bread. And so Naomi and her husband and her sons go to Moab, which is a foreign land across the Dead Sea. And uh, there they find food for the family and they even find husbands for the boys. But then tragedy strikes. Naomi's husband and sons all die, leaving Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah 
as widows. Now that's Orpah, not Oprah. This is especially tragic for them because widows in the ancient world had no social status whatsoever. Unless their families uh, are, is there to take care of them, they, uh, they are quickly going to become homeless and destitute. And uh, so if Ruth is supposed to be this sappy love story, we're not off to a very good start. Uh, but things can still turn around. So Ruth has yet to meet Boaz. Um, when she does, she'll fall deliriously in love with him and live happily ever after, right? I mean, this is one of the most common uh, aspects of any love story is, is that the girl marries for love. She falls head over heels for the guy, regardless of social circumstances or anything else. Um, like in Shakespeare's classic play, Romeo and Juliet, or in the equally classic Disney movie, Aladdin, or any other Disney movie, really, for that matter, right? But with Ruth, this is not quite the case, is it? First of all, Boaz is no boy. He's actually Naomi's age. He's, he's old enough to be Ruth's father. See, Ruth doesn't marry for love so much as to provide for her and Naomi's most basic needs. And then, of course, there's the proposal. When I meet with couples that are planning to get married uh, to help plan their wedding, uh, one of the first questions I ask them is, how did you get engaged? Tell me your proposal story. I've heard some pretty good ones in just over a year of being a pastor. Well, what was Ruth's story? Well, Ruth uh, secretly comes and, and requests, even begs Boaz to marry her, to provide for, for her and for Naomi, all on the dirty ground of a public threshing floor with other men lying around sleeping. Um, our video is actually a little bit inaccurate there. She didn't go to, to Boaz's bedroom. She went to this public threshing floor. Not really the most romantic proposal by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm starting to think that maybe Ruth is not much of a love story at all. Now, if so far, if, if I'm ruining the story of Ruth for you, take heart, because we run into four little words um, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 3, or page 123 of the story, if you're following along there, that might cause us to reconsider our conclusion. As it turned out, as it turned out, Ruth was working in a field belonging to Boaz. In other words, it just so happened that out of all the fields surrounding Bethlehem, Ruth found herself in the one that Boaz owned. Now, isn't that a lucky, lucky thing to have happen? I have to say, if, if I were watching a movie with Emily and something like this happened, I would roll my eyes and say something like, oh, of course, the field she just happens to find herself in is Boaz's field. Emily's laughing because I, I annoy her by doing this all the time. But, uh, yeah, I, I would say, you know, this is just like when Minnie Driver just happens to be the recipient of the heart transplant. I mean, are you kidding me? As it turned out, can't the writers be a bit more clever than that? But this is where I really get myself in trouble because God is the writer of the story and of Ruth's story in particular. And this time, as it turned out, is not some tired formulaic device being used to write a cheesy love story. It is the first link in a chain of divinely orchestrated circumstances which will shape Ruth's destiny. But luck has nothing to do with it. God has everything to do with it. This is in your uh, sermon outline as well, but Proverbs 16.9 says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord 
determines his steps. God is the unseen guide in Ruth's life, directing her every move. As it turned out, she found herself in a field owned by Boaz. As it turned out, Boaz ended up sleeping at the edge of the grain heap on the night Ruth happened to come so that she could come in and have a secret visit without disturbing the other men. As it turned out, Boaz was supremely qualified and graciously willing to serve as guardian redeemer for Ruth and Naomi. Throughout this story, God lovingly weaves his unseen purposes into the everyday life of Ruth, just as he does for you and for me today. Throughout the story, God shows this incredible love to Naomi and Ruth, just like he shows to you and me today. And so though the story of Ruth may not be a sappy love story, it is a story that is all about love. God's love for his people and his people's love for God and for one another. So let's take a look at the love that's shown in this story. First, let's consider Naomi. Now things don't start out very well for her at all. The famine, the death of her husband, the death of her sons. These things cause her to say, the Lord's hand has turned against me. She even tells people when she gets back to Bethlehem, don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. And as she says, the Lord's hand is turned against me and the Almighty has made my life very bitter. At first glance, it looks like Naomi's just giving up, doesn't it? It looks like she's this bitter old lady who, who is fed up with the hand that she's been dealt and wants nothing to do with God anymore. But in truth, by accusing God, she is demonstrating her faith that he has the power to make things better. And she finds a shred of hope in the depths of despair. I think in some ways, the love that Naomi shows in this story is shown despite her best efforts. Consider the faith she must have had to cause Ruth to follow her even after Naomi says to Ruth and to Orpah, basically, woe is me, my life is terrible, God is against me. Go back to, to your family. Have a future there because with me there's only starvation, poverty, and, and sadness. Naomi's trying to drive away Ruth and Orpah because she thinks that's what's best for them. But Naomi's brutal honesty and authentic faith instead attract Ruth to follow and love the Lord. And God lovingly grants redemption to them both. You see, sometimes God allows sorrow and pain to enter into our lives and when our lives become bitter, we don't always understand why. But God does not waste a single tear. God does not waste our sorrow, but redeems it. God is faithful and his love endures forever. And like he did with Naomi, God is calling us to love him and trust him in the midst of the tragedies in our lives because others will see our faith and will follow Jesus as a result. Then, of course, there's Ruth. The, the heroine of our story. Now, let's be clear. Ruth had no illusions. She knew that going to Bethlehem with Naomi meant giving up her bright future. In Bethlehem, she would be an outsider and would run a great risk in trying to glean in the fields alone. She could be kicked out for one thing, or she could be mistreated and beaten. She could even be raped. Naomi, <laughs> Naomi knew this, and Ruth did too. Ruth knew that, that the only prospect for her in this future she had chosen was to share in Naomi's desolation. Yet she clings to Naomi 
like a child clinging to a parent, or even better, like a husband clinging to a wife. Her famous words found on page 122 of the story are, are often used at wedding, um, in wedding sermons. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. The depth of Ruth's love for Naomi was such that she bound herself to Naomi for life and even into death. But Ruth is not only binding herself to Naomi here, she's also binding herself to Israel, and more importantly, to Yahweh, the one true God. Ruth also says, Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. I think we make a mistake if we interpret her to be saying here that she'll worship whatever God Naomi wants and they can switch halfway through every few years. No. Ruth is expressing here her steadfast devotion to Yahweh, the one true God. This chapter in the story is entitled, The Faith of a Foreign Woman. Ruth is called a Moabite six times in this story to emphasize that she is a foreigner who, hearing the word of God through Naomi and through her family, willingly comes in faith to the land of the God of Israel. And so when Boaz speaks with her later, he says this, I've been told how you left your father and mother in your homeland and have come to live with a people you did not know before. Does this remind you of anyone? It sounds to me a lot like what Abraham did in chapter 2 of the story, or Genesis 12, when he leaves behind everything to follow Yahweh. It also reminds us of Jesus' words when he says, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Ruth willingly forfeits her life for the sake of Naomi, for the sake of God, and he ends up bringing her Boaz. By binding herself to Naomi, Ruth finds herself also bound to a man of God who will love her, provide for her, and protect her. God is faithful and his love endures forever. And like he did with Ruth, God is calling us to bind ourselves to others, to enter into their suffering. Sometimes this even means giving up on some of our own hopes and dreams for the sake of someone we love. Emily and I knew a, a couple from college that got married, and uh, their marriage lasted, I think, less than a year, because they both had very different ideas about where God was calling them, and they, they couldn't reconcile it. Neither of them could give up on their own hopes and dreams. That's not what God calls us to in marriage. It's not easy. But Ruth does it, and so does Boaz. The scriptures tell us that as soon as Boaz meets Ruth, he speaks kindly to her, and provides for her and Naomi's well-being. Reading through the story, you certainly get the sense that the Boaz notices Ruth immediately and maybe even falls in love with her even when she's sweaty and dirty from working out in the field. God had told his people in, in Leviticus not to reap to the edge of the fields, but to leave some of the crops for the poor and the alien. Boaz is, is faithful to God's law in, in a time when the judges were ruling and everyone seemed to be doing what was right in their own eyes. Not only that, Boaz's generosity goes above and beyond the requirements of the law. 
when he affords Ruth special treatment and gives her and Naomi gifts of water to drink and grain to eat. And so Naomi recognizes he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And the love and generosity of Boaz, I think, are most evident when he agrees to become their guardian redeemer. Now, according to God's law, a guardian redeemer was a male relative who who had the duty to act for a family member who was in trouble, danger, or in need of vindication. This even included buying back the estate of a relative who had died. Now, in, in most cases, there was really no benefit here for the guardian redeemer in this arrangement. And that's, in fact, why the closer relative that Boaz has to talk to first wants nothing to do with this when he finds out that Ruth is involved. And, and really, if, if you study the law, Boaz technically had no obligation here. He wasn't Elimelech's brother. And on top of that, it was to his financial disadvantage to act on their behalf. Yet out of his love for Ruth and Naomi, and out of his faithfulness to the Lord's covenant, Boaz serves as their redeemer, buying back Naomi's dead husband's property and providing her and Ruth with an heir, giving them hope in the future. There's a blog post that's been making the rounds on Facebook the past couple weeks. Maybe you've seen it. It's called, uh, I think the title is, Marriage Isn't For Me. And uh, contrary to what the title sounds like, the, the point of the article is, uh, marriage is not about me. It's about my spouse. Uh, God is calling us to put our husband or our wife first. And this isn't really new, is it? This is exactly what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 5. Marriage is about loving sacrificially. Boaz is a shining example of this. Through Boaz, we again see that God is faithful and his love endures forever. And like he did with Boaz, God is calling us to help the helpless with the resources he's given us and to love others sacrificially. The son uh, that's born to Boaz and Ruth is named Obed. And... Uh, to borrow a phrase, as it turned out, he ends up being the grandfather of King David. And over a thousand years later, Ruth herself will be included in the genealogy of another redeemer who hails from Bethlehem. Another redeemer who has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead, whom he will one day return to judge. Another redeemer who makes it his business to raise up the name of the dead, to reestablish the heritage of his people. This Redeemer also has loved sacrificially, has given of himself for the sake of the poor and the destitute, even miserable sinners like you and me. This Redeemer, Jesus Christ, has redeemed us from the curse of the law and granted Gentiles like Ruth and like us entrance into his kingdom. This Redeemer loved us even when we were sweaty and dirty he washed us from the dirt of our own sin and wiped away the sweat of our brow when we had striven after empty works. As Paul says, he gave himself up for us to make us holy, cleansing us through baptism by the washing with water through the word to present us to himself as a radiant bride and church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Road to freedom, and as dawn arose, Wesley and Buttercup knew they were safe. 
wave of love swept over them. And as they reach for each other... What? What? Now nah, it's kissing again. You don't want to hear that. I don't mind so much. Okay. So in the end, I think the story of Ruth is a love story and so much more and I don't mind so much. It's a story about the love of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. But even more, it's a story about God's love, his love for them and his love for us. Because like Naomi, Jesus trusted in the Father and through his suffering led us to God. Like Ruth, Jesus entered into our our suffering and desolation, counting himself nothing to bring us hope and life. And like Boaz, Jesus became our Redeemer by buying us back when we were lost and helpless, not with silver or gold, but with his own precious blood. God is calling us today to love like Jesus and to share the story of his love with those who don't know him, to bring people to their guardian Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And so, let's do that. And let's continue to live out his story in our lives as those who are truly loved by God and redeemed by Christ's blood. Amen.